Well, it's great to see a few new faces today. You're welcome, and um, uh, and I hope you enjoy your time here. So, Peter and Andy are normally preaching for us. Um, obviously, they've been quite ill with COVID. So, um, bless him, Andy, uh, on his kind of sick bed, uh, wrote out the sermon for me. So, all I have to do is monotone, word by word, say it. Um, but me being me, I thought I'd have a go at kind of making it my own. Uh, so if it's really good, thank Andy and God. Um, if it's really bad, then I can't read. Um, so we've been looking at a series going through Luke at the moment called um, Mentored by the Master. And we've been um, looking at the disciples and how they've um, grown to know Jesus and love Jesus from once he's chosen them. So initially we started about um, four or five weeks ago now um, with Peter, the fisherman, um, who was a great fisherman, loved his job, and then had a bad night's fishing, met Jesus the next morning, and was wowed when he had a huge catch, um, kind of realised that this person, Jesus, was someone special, uh, and came to realise that well, Jesus called him for a great, a great work, um, fishing for men, and that's the same for us. He calls us uh, for a great work for him. And then we also met Levi that same Sunday where um, Levi was a tax collector, kind of unpopular kind of guy, um, a bit of a traitor to the Jewish nation, working with the Romans. Um, But Jesus called Levi because he wants to do a great work in him and he wants to do a great work in us. And then we had um, Andy uh, the Centurion with us. Um, This is in Luke 7 now. And um, Centurion, a powerful man, but he had a problem which he couldn't solve. One of his like, great servants was sick in bed, uh, going to die. And he'd heard of this God-man Jesus, and he reached out for help. And uh, <laughs> amazingly, Jesus, rather, rather than kind of um, dismissing kind of the enemy power at the time, he wanted to visit and heal the, the servant. Um, but the great news is as well that um, in that situation, the centurion had enough faith and realized that, whoa, I think you're something more special than I am. Don't come to my house. So there's humility there. But also that in his fears, um, he took his fear to Jesus. And that's what we can do. We can take our fear to Jesus because the world is in his hands. And then um, two weeks ago, we had the story of the widow. A widow, so she's lost her husband and now... Um, she is now burying her son. Such a sad story. It's, it's tragic and easily we can skip over it. But we got to see that Jesus cared for her. He sees her in his needs, in her needs, and he healed that son. Um, the son came to life and so he could then help and uh, defend the widow. And this Jesus, he knows our needs, he cares for us, and he's a personal and compassionate Jesus. And he even has authority over death. So I wonder how the disciples were feeling. They've just been chosen. They've heard his teaching. They've seen miracles. I mean, they must have been excited and encouraged. Maybe like like just on the high. They They were backing the right horse. Perhaps they felt important as well, kind of walking around with this God man, Jesus on a spiritual high. Let's continue the story then to see what happens next. Woo! Turn in your Bible to chapter 7 and uh, we're going to be reading verses 18. Actually, I'm only going to read a couple of verses. We're going to walk through the only five verses today, so it's going to be a short one. I'll read to you verse 18 
19. The disciples of John the reported all these things to him. So that's all of the miracles and all of the teaching. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist um, has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? I'm just going to stop there. So we've got a few characters that we don't perhaps know yet, John the Baptist and his disciples. Um, But what's going on there? Because it seems like things were going great. Um, Jesus was doing amazing miracles. And then then we've got this guy come onto the scene questioning what Jesus is up to. Like, talk about a spoiler party. I mean, I wonder what Peter's response would be. You can imagine Pete, the fisherman in the background, pulling his sleeves up. Jesus, do you want me to deal with him? Who is this guy? So, who is John the Baptist? Well, some of you might know, but, and, uh, and if you don't, then I'll, I'll tell you anyway. We've been introduced to him already in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, we kind of know more about him than we do Jesus. In chapter 1, we learn that he is the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're old people who have been wanting a baby for so long, and um, he was working as a priest in the temple. He meets angel Gabriel and gets to hear that his son is going to be the kind of forerunner for the Messiah, God's chosen one, who's going to come to this world. We learn that, um, so he's going to be great before the Lord, verse 15 in chapter 1. We learn that he's going to have the Holy Spirit from birth. He's not to drink wine or any strong drink, so he's going to have a special upbringing, and he's going to prepare Israel for salvation. Something big and great is going to happen. And I I reckon that... um, Okay, he's one of the best cheerleaders of Jesus because we we can't really claim to fame this one. When um, Elizabeth's cousin Mary comes to visit them and she's pregnant with Jesus, John the Baptist is having a worship session in Elizabeth's womb. Okay, that's that's how keen this guy is. And I think probably they um, they they've probably enjoyed the Book of Isaiah. Um, Anina's mentioned it already today, so. The book of Isaiah is an Old Testament book and it's scattered with prophecies of, of a promised saviour, a promised king. And I'm pretty sure that uh, John the Baptist and his family were, were kind of have it pasted on the walls because we'll see a few, few um, mentions of it as we go through. So, so what did John do when he grew up? Well, he, he was a funny old guy. Many might know he liked to eat locusts and honey. He would dress in um, a funny old camel hair and kind of wander the wilderness preaching repentance. And he didn't min- mince his words either. Um, in Luke 3, um, he, he calls people broods of vipers um, and he warns them of coming wrath and judgment. Let's read. Um, he said, <laughs> I mean, imagine if I kind of said this to you, I don't think you'd be too happy, but. Um, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to yourself to say, oh, we have Abraham as our father. He's like, don't be religious. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's encouraging the people of Israel to think twice about who they think God is, to, to forget their religiousness, but to instead ask for repentance and follow him. 
And so the people were like, well, who is this guy that heard them in the wilderness? And we learn in verse 15 of chapter 3, they were filled with expectation. They were questioning in their hearts concerning John, like, is this the Christ? John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist is preparing the way for someone who is going to come in and kind of kind of make a difference, kind of make a massive change here. People are going to um, be judged from what he's saying. Um, so he also had the privilege, John the Baptist also had the privilege of baptizing Jesus. Um, and when, when he saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the chosen one, the promised one. And yet, why does he ask these questions through his disciples to Jesus? Are you the one or should we look for someone else? Well, we kind of find out that John the Baptist's kind of good run comes to an end. He has an issue with Herod, Herod and his um, kind of brother's wife. He ends up in prison. And so we have John in prison kind of waiting and hearing what Jesus is up to, but struggling. He, he hears the reports of what Jesus is up to, but he's like, well, that doesn't sound like what I was expecting. Jesus, when, it, when are you going to start thrashing the floor? When are you going to give it to the Romans? When are you going to cause people to, to be divided? And Jesus, how are you going to do it? And why, why, Jesus, am I sitting and rotting in prison? I'm your best cheerleader. I want to be with you. I reckon John's expectations of King Jesus reigning and kicking Roman butt were not being met and so doubt kicked in. John was calling into question Jesus's mission like whilst Jesus was teaching and healing Herod was still on the throne. The Romans still ruled the ro roost and he was stuck in a cold and dark cell. John the Baptist had questions, struggles and frustrations and I think that can sound familiar to us sometimes. Why God? Why? Why I'm in this situation. I think what is beautiful with what John shows us is that he shared his concerns and he aimed them right at Jesus. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. Let's look at how Jesus responds, though, especially as it's like a direct threat at his authority. Like, how rude. Maybe um, John's disciples, when they came to Jesus, were like, oh, we've got a really awkward question kind of we know that you're powerful please don't zap us he could have had a given a harsh rebuke it could have been fire and brimstone it could have been sarcasm from jesus it's like oh, come on guys maybe a rolling of the eyes <sighs> why wouldn't you just believe or just a simple look, I, I am the one just go, go and tell him it's okay okay let's read luke 7 21 how does jesus reply in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and on many who were blind he bestowed sight rather than any harsh rebuke 
Jesus offers the two disciples a wow power hour. He says, guys, stay a while. Let me show you something. I'm going to heal many diseased people. I'm going to cure those of the plagues. The evil spirits will be cast out. And not just a few, but many blind will see. Imagine their response. It'd be jaw-dropping. Bursting as they ran back to tell John the Baptist what they saw. I, I wonder sometimes we read it on the pages and we're like, yeah, this is what Jesus does. He heals people. Okay. It's nothing new. So I'm going to share a cow story because cow stories are often amusing. So this, this Wednesday, um, I, I work on a farm and I come early in, the, early in the morning and I found a cow who's done the splits. And uh, it's, it's not an attractive look, really. Um, and you're like, oh, no. Often when that happens, kind of the, they, they, they break a ligament or they, or they dislocate something or, or something is torn inside. They're a big animal. They're 700, 800 kilo. And, and you just can't recover them from that. So she was trying to get up. And, and the first thing you do is run to get some sand around her to, so that she can get up on her feet. Um, but I was just looking at her. She was too weak to do that. The sand was there. Within it, like the stats are something like within a half an hour, if they don't get up within half an hour, then they never will. And unfortunately, for a cow of that size, even though she's worth a lot of money to us, uh, we have to put her down, we have to take her away. So I'm kind of there on the phone, ready to make that call uh, because she wasn't going to recover. And my work colleague, Craig, she, he came, came around and we had a look, and yeah, it, it looked broken. Um, but we <laughs> we're kind of mugs. But we do this with our pets, don't we? But we'll give it a try. So, so we roll the cow into a big JCB bucket. And amazingly, the two of us managed it. That's probably more Craig than me. Um, and we, we managed to bring her into a deep straw yard full of straw and comfort. Um, but we're looking at her thinking, yeah, she's never going to recover. It's, it's a lost cause. I gently roll her out of the bucket. And <laughs> she, she jumped up. She ran around the pen and she started beating up another cow that was in the yard. And I, I shouted to Craig, it's a miracle! And Craig was like, yeah, whatever. Because he doesn't know God and that wouldn't make sense anyway. But we get used to death and decay and disease. And, and I reckon when we read the things that Jesus does, we get used to being like, ah, yeah, that was then. But imagine if you were there. Imagine the blind men kind of wondering or being led to Jesus and just Jesus healing them. John's disciples would be wowed. Imagine the leper coming towards Jesus and people saying, unclean, stay away. But Jesus reaching out to touch him and to heal him. Be amazed by what Jesus is doing. I think John the Baptist's disciples were amazed. Can't remember where I am now. Let me see. So they ran back to John the Baptist and they reported all these things in their kind of schoolboy excitement, I think. And John the Baptist was like, yeah, that's great. That's great. I've, I heard these things. But what did he say? What, what was his response? Oh, um, okay, well, thankfully, one of them wrote it down clearly. So verse 22 and 23, we find out what Jesus actually said to the disciples to tell John. He answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. That's great. That's kind of what we just talked about, wasn't it? 
But to John the Baptist, these words were probably more significant, and we can easily skip it. But the words, pep- the words that Jesus have used are peppered from Isaiah. Now let me read a few verses from Isaiah, and then you can see if you agree with me. In, in the context of Isaiah that the verses come from, it's talking about a day after judgment when God will be re- restoring his people and bringing his people back. So one of them is um, in Isaiah 35, and it says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So he's talking about the promised Messiah who will come and rescue his people. And it's sounding a lot like what Jesus is saying. And then again, in verse 29, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. I think Jesus is nudging John the Baptist. He's saying, remember, remember Isaiah. Remember how he had it wallpapered on your walls. He's encouraging him, reminding him, it's begun. I am the promised one. I am fulfilling the prophecy of long ago. It's now, but it's also not yet. And so what about verse 23? Who could ever be offended by Jesus? I mean, when he's doing all these amazing things, why would Jesus have to say, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me? I mean, the guy is working miracles. <laughs> it's actually another reference to Isaiah, you'd like to know, but we'll come to that in a minute. But the people of Israel, they had hopes and expectations for a, a, a conquering promised king. But Jesus became a servant. They had hopes of the temple becoming even more precious um, a, a special place for Jews and everywhere, but, but Jesus prophesied its destruction. They had hopes of being rescued from the Romans, but he was to set them free from sin. The reference that, that they were talking about being the offence was, um, was of the stumbling block, a stone that many Jews were going to trip over. And it's because their kind of vision of who God was wasn't who God was. God had come to deal with the biggest problem. Jesus is saying to John, I am the promised one, but you need to understand there is a bigger picture than the Romans. I wonder how John felt in his cell as he kind of sat back against the wall and thought about these things. I wonder if he was pondering Isaiah's words and maybe letting it sink into him. Maybe feeling relieved. Jesus is the one. He has got it. I'm not going to be offended by Jesus. He has a greater plan and work here. I wonder if he was also thinking back, hey, I remember I said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Maybe it's not the way I thought it would be, but maybe God's got a bigger picture of this. So how did John the Baptist end? Did it end well for him? Was he rescued and kind of restored to be Jesus' cheerleader? Well, you might know that it didn't really go that way. King Herod's wicked stepdaughter chose for his head to become and delivered on a platter. He was executed. He didn't get to experience freedom again on this earth. Not physical. But because of Jesus, he is enjoying eternal freedom with God. 
So, so where does this leave us? And I kind of want to ask a question as well. Why did this get put in the Bible? Because surely we shouldn't have doubts about who Jesus is. And surely John the Baptist really shouldn't have had doubts about who Jesus was. Well, I think, I think these verses can be a great encouragement to us. If Jesus' biggest cheerleader had doubts, then so can we. When reality isn't what we hope and when our plans get cancelled, when we find ourselves doubting if God is really there, does Jesus even care? Where, where is he and why isn't he rescuing me? Let's learn from John the Baptist. There's an invitation. Share our doubts and questions because you're not alone. Most of us are thinking it. But bring them to Jesus. He's big enough to take our doubts. And what was Jesus' response to the question? He invites us to look and to see. Let's sit back ourselves and be wowed. We are invited to look and see what Jesus has done, but we get to see even more than John got to. We got to see the demonstration of his love for us, that whilst in our doubts and our sin, Jesus gave his life for us on the cross. But he, and he didn't just die and stay dead. He rose from the dead again. He conquered death. And so we're no longer outsiders if we trust in him. We become daughters and sons of our heavenly father. And what's Jesus doing now? Well, he's preparing a place for us in heaven. This is not the end. Let's see the bigger picture. He will return to judge evil. He will. And he will redeem his creation and he'll make all things new. It's okay to ask questions but to share them and to ask Jesus. And, and maybe, maybe also don't be content. If you're just looking in today and you're not sure who Jesus is and you're kind of aware that there might be a God, but it seems strange to have to go through Jesus, then I guess I, I ask you this question. Are you content with your lot? Are you satisfied that this is all life has to offer you? Because I think we've been pretty rocked over the last couple of years of how cruddy it can become. And, and I want to challenge you because Jesus is inviting us into something much better and something much greater than what this world has to offer. This is a broken world. He's, he will come one day to fix it. And, and maybe you're on a spiritual high and maybe you, you're having a great walk with Jesus. Then be compassionate with those who aren't show them Jesus. Maybe if you're struggling, maybe spend an hour with Jesus. Let him wow you. I, I'll invite you. If, if anyone, anyone would be interested, like come and read the gospel with me and we'll do it over a month or something. We'll do it chapter by chapter because he's so worth sitting down and just looking at. So when your day goes pear-shaped, it <laughs> goes blown away, when plans don't go as you hoped, when another holiday is cancelled, the kids are fighting. I'm sure that doesn't happen in your house. When COVID knocks on the door, it might. And the flood of doubts enter your mind. Has God got this? Is he really real? Am I just talking to the ceiling? Let's learn from John the Baptist. We're invited. Share your doubts. Ask Jesus. Call to him. He is big enough for your biggest questions. 
He may not rescue you from your current situation, but he will join you in it. And he'll tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Shall I just pray? Father God, I thank you so much um, that we can come to you with our questions. I thank you, Jesus, that you might not have worked the way they were expecting you to work on earth when you came to to visit but you did amazing things and you conquered death and sin and without that we wouldn't know you now and we thank you so much for that lord help us not to be content with sitting in a cell and doubting help us to come to you in question with questions and thank you that when we do you don't rebuke us you show us who you are you draw us to your side and, and we can marvel at what you have done and what you are doing in our lives. Would you give us that perspective, Lord? I pray even this week as troubles come, would you give us your perspective on life? In Jesus' name, amen.